today on Ag News Daily. It's a versatile product. SP1 Classic has worked in multiple crops, um, most notably corn and potatoes in the eastern United States for for many, uh, many years. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here in the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored today by Zywave brand fungicides by FMC. Delaney Howell joined, as always, by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I'm joining you today from Sycamore, Illinois. Yeah, Delaney, you have been really just going and blowing, you know, jumping right back onto your feet, sort of, kind of, running right from New Orleans over to Illinois. You've just been a real busy gal. Yes, I have. I am today in Sycamore, Illinois, talking to a group of young leaders in agriculture, the Agricultural Leaders of Tomorrow group with the Illinois Farm Bureau chatting with them today doing a little markets workshop so it should be pretty fun i'm looking forward to getting back out there but yeah i barely hit the ground yesterday it looks like a bomb went off in our house there's laundry and suitcases and everything scattered everywhere so this is chaos well delaney sometimes i thrive in chaos and sometimes i just really need to take a nap in it all so not sure what you're feeling like today today i think Right now I'm good. I'm going on energy or adrenaline, I should say. And I'm sure that will continue through the workshop. But then as soon as the workshop's done and I start my drive for the next trek of my trip, I am going to crash. So it's good. It's fine. We'll get through it. But uh, I have to think or kind of laugh to myself, you know, last year, two years ago, I was begging or dying to get out there and get to some of these events again and now I'm thinking oh yeah it was nice when we didn't have travel well Delaney I am glad that you are getting back out there and more and more people are doing the same thing I feel like I keep seeing different social events professional events and that kind of stuff and I'm glad that we are really starting to get back out here because really this has been two years about the two-year mark right now Mm -hmm. since the COVID pandemic first started Yeah, that's crazy. You're right. Because actually it was two years ago today. It was March 15th. I remember Blaine and I were getting ready to go to the gym and he yells up the stairs at me and says, Hey, we can't go. We, nothing is open. Everything's shut down. And I just remember thinking like, what is he talking about? Everything is shut down. And then, yeah, that quickly escalated the chain of events. And here we are today, two years later, Ashton. Well, it has certainly been a weird learning experience. It's been such a strange past two years, and I'm sure that we can take a look back at what's all been happening, but I am wanting to move forward, Delaney, just look into the future, yes. looking to the, the light at the end of the tunnel here. So why don't we just go ahead and hop into some news today? I know that you said earlier today that you had quite a bit that you had been watching today. Yeah, I have been watching a quite a few different stories today, largely due or largely revolving around the Ukraine-Russia story. And I got to do a little bit of reading on this, but I'm not entirely positive if Ukraine is has enacted martial law yet. I believe to some extent they have. And just released today, Kiev is preparing to enter an extended curfew from 8 p.m on Tuesday local time. And so basically with this 
different curfews or, or um, martial law. I believe they have enacted it, although I haven't been able to find any concrete evidence to say, yes, they have. But Ukraine has instructed regional military administrations together with national police, the state food and consumer service and the state medical service to oversee Ukrainian retailers and their prices for goods, including wheat, flour, pasta, wheat loaves, bread, etc., etc., uh, largely food sources. And the cabinet of ministers in Ukraine has said that these agencies are tasked with monitoring the local prices there in Ukraine. And authorities have the ability now under martial law to punish sellers who sharply increase prices. So they're trying to largely hold food prices stable in Ukraine so that all people have access to available food sources while uh, war rages on. But as you look at ongoing negotiations, we've seen about 3 million people so far that have fled the fighting between Russia and Ukraine. And President Putin really poked Ukraine leadership today and was quoted by a couple of different news outlets, Bloomberg included, as being and was quoted as saying Ukraine is not being serious about resolving the conflict. And said basically that while negotiations are continuing, Ukraine wasn't working very well and is, quote, not showing a serious attitude toward finding mutually acceptable solutions, end quote. And that was basically it that we got out of President Putin today. They just met in conversation over the phones on Tuesday. And the Kremlin said that they're also discussing the military operation and humanitarian relief measures as well. But it does sound largely like there are different stories coming out from Ukraine versus what's coming out from Russia. I would definitely have to agree with you there. And, you know, just kind of tack on to that. Another story that came out of Ukraine, this is all according to the main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine. It's being reported that the Russian military is purposefully destroying ag machinery. And so I thought that was a bit interesting because, you know, you were just talking yesterday, Delaney, about how it's being reported that Ukrainian producers are still going to go through with planting. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this was pretty interesting on why that they were purposely destroying ag equipment. Yeah, as you're talking about destroying equipment and planting season, Just saw some fresh news this morning that said, although they are anticipating planting, spring planting is anticipated to fall 39% year over year as far as production goes. So while it does appear that they are full steam ahead, there's a lot of other question marks there, like you're saying, from being able to have infrastructure, to have the inputs, to physically being able to get in and plant the crop this year. And I think that this really just goes to show that Russia is trying to kind of undermine food security in Ukraine. I think that that's really the overall purpose of them destroying these pieces of ag equipment. And it kind of concerns me on how these producers are actually going to get in the field, you know, if they have trouble with their equipment, if, you know, any other circumstance happens, because, you know, Tanner was talking last week about how there are some manufacturers that aren't shipping out equipment Mm -hmm. or, you know, supporting um, producers over in Ukraine just kind of stay out of the conflict. So I think that when it comes to a equipment standpoint, there's going to be quite a few bumps in the road for these producers. 
Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Ashton. And, you know, of course, there's still bumps in the road when it comes to fertilizer and other costs there. But as we turn our attention here back to a domestic issue, we're continuing to watch the avian influenza and fresh reports today show that the total death toll has gotten up to 7.6 and a half million birds that uh, have been taken care of, we'll say, uh, so far this year. And so far, it's been mostly laying hens. About two-thirds of this year's death toll has been laying hens, which more than doubled over the weekend. But new cases have been reported in lots of key states, and about seven other outbreaks were reported over the weekend, including a case here in Iowa, Ashton. Well, you know, Delaney, I'm back home visiting and Corley has a flock of her own. So I'm hoping that her laying hens don't get hit. I haven't really had to think about this before because, you know, I'm very anti-bird, but Corley's very pro-bird. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I might have to start getting out there and doing some extra measures to make sure they're safe. Yes, that's true. Don't go on any other chicken farms or Corley will be very upset with you. Well, Delaney, I have a, a piece of Semi-funny news. I laughed when I first saw this headline, but it's looking like a team of European scientists have now successfully decoded pigs' emotions. These scientists analyzed over 7,000 acoustic recordings of pigs' oinks, their grunts, squeals, whatever you want to call them, from over 400 pigs. And these researchers have reportedly become the first in the world to decode pig grunts into identifiable emotions that are recognizable across a diverse array of conditions and life stages. So they analyze these 400 pigs from birth up until death, recorded their reactions to both positive and negative events. And using those 7,000 recordings, the research team developed a special algorithm that was capable of decoding whether a specific pig is experiencing positive emotion, negative emotion, or somewhere in between. So I thought that this was really funny. I, I think I'm going to put this piece of news in our network newsletter just because I think it's really interesting, you know, talking about what makes a pig happy or sad. How can this benefit farmers? But it also was interesting to me because, you know, pigs can stress out so easily. They have that specific gene that, you know, stresses them out and causes them to pass. And so I thought it was pretty interesting on how they can really navigate how a pig is feeling, if they're happy or sad. I don't know. I might have to implement some of these practices into our own farm down here. Yeah, it's certainly interesting, you know, to look at the technology there. I've seen a lot of organizations that have looked at behaviors of hawks, but it's interesting to say that we can actually now tell their emotions. You know, being an ag communications student, I always get the question like, oh, do you talk to cows? Do you talk to the corn? And now I think I can honestly say that we might be able to talk to pigs. That is so bizarre and interesting all at the same time. But tell you what, Ashton, let's take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor, FMC. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. 
Always read and follow all label directions. Well, Ashton, as we dive into some extra news here, some more news, I've got really just one other piece before we hop over into the markets, and that's talking about weather. Because, of course, planting season is, uh, for some folks, started and others up here in the Corn Belt realistically about a month away. And as we're looking at this year's growing season, probably have to have Eric Snodgrass on again here within the next couple of weeks to chat about spring planting weather. But in today's latest report that he shared, he said that La Nina weather conditions have actually strengthened over the last month. After fading in January and most of February, they've become stronger here in the month of March, which of course is hot and dry conditions. He said that stronger than normal trade winds in the Central Pacific are controlling the tropical dynamics right now. And when this has happened in the past, the plains, the Southwest and California had below normal precipitation in March through May. So he said the risk here is basically continued drought expansion across the Southwest into the plains and into eventually the Midwest here. So certainly going to be an ongoing conversation that we have as we get into the growing season this year. And that really sets itself up for a particularly interesting growing season this year. You know, as Ted mentioned yesterday on the podcast, Ashton, there is literally a whole growing season left to have some potentially explosive continued moves in the commodity markets. So could be setting ourselves up here for a perfect storm for record high commodity prices once again this year. Well, Delaney, I am also all out of news for today. So I'm ready to hop into the markets if you are. I certainly am, Ash, and I'm going to let you take the reins here as I am due to speak here just shortly. So I'm going to hop off, Ashton, and let you finish the podcast today, and I'll see everybody tomorrow. Well, Delaney, before I get into the markets here, I'm going to put a quick pause on this conversation just so we can hear one more time from today's sponsor, FMC. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Thanks again to the folks at FMC for being today's sponsor. But other than that, we don't have too much to talk about other than what's going on in the markets for today. We saw some strength in the corn markets today. The May contract was up nine and three quarter cents to close at 758. The July up four and three quarters to close at 723 and a quarter. Not a similar story here in soybeans as the May contract was down 11 and three quarter cents to close at 16.58 and three quarters. The July down 11 cents to close at 16.35 and three quarters. In wheat, the May contract closed 58 cents higher at 11.54 and a quarter. The July up 57 and a half to close at 11.27 and a half. Heading over into the livestock markets, green across the screen here as the live cattle April contract was up 52.5 cents to close at 140.85. The June of $1.10 to close at 136.80. In feeder cattle, the March contract was up 40 cents to close at 156.35. The April up 20 cents to close at 162.60. 
In lean hogs, the April contract closed 20 cents higher at 102.40. The May at 35 cents closed at 110.65. The class three dairy milk futures pushed downward today as the April contract was down 48 cents, closing at 23.42. And the May closed 25 cents lower at 23.87. With that, I'm going to kick it over to a non-traditional Tech Tuesday conversation with Mick Messman of DPH Bio. Catching up with President and CEO of DPH Biologicals, Mick Messman, who we've had on the podcast before. But Mick, down here at Commodity Classic, you guys have a fantastic booth. You're talking to a lot of growers. What's the buzz? What are you hearing from folks? Well, Delaney, first of all, it's great to see you and uh, be on your show again. So what we're hearing is a lot of interest in biologicals. The current uh, fertilizer situation and the rising costs are, I think, stimulating uh, growers' minds to think about alternatives. And one of those alternatives that DPH Biologicals can provide is our SP1 product, which is part of the Teratro platform. Um, and it's a liquid biofertilizer that can be used in combination uh, with uh, infero starter fertilizer. And actually, the grower can replace up to half of their infero use of a starter fertilizer with SP1. And I tell you what, biologicals have been kind of the buzz down here. I mean, autonomy is a big one in the equipment side of things, but on the agronomic agronomic side of things, biologicals seems to be the place that a lot of growers have questions and a lot of growers are asking, what can I do this year more than ever with those increasing costs in commercial fertilizer and maybe now potential shortages due to the Russia-Ukraine situation. But as you look at SP1, tell us a little bit more about that product in particular? Well, SP1 is a biofertilizer, as I mentioned. It's a unique product in that it's a complete product. It has three major components. It has a plant-based humus uh, component. It also has a proprietary algae that we grow um, for SP1. In addition, uh, we have a consortia of plant growth promoting rhizobacteria. So those are three distinct categories of technologies that when used together create a more consistent performance for the grower because it provides a home for the uh, microbes to live. It provides a food source with the algae for those microbes to thrive. And then the ultimate benefit for the grower is improved soil health and yields. So biofertilizers compared to regular commercial fertilizers, what are the differences there? Well, many of the regular commercial fertilizers are synthetic uh, products, whereas our biological is um, it's biological, so it starts with a plant-based humus with the microbes in addition to the algae. And so, um, you know, one difference is that our product can be used with organic farming and, in fact, has a rich history there over um, several decades with uh, organic growers using it effectively. It provides uh, the nutrients in the soil to be more available for the plant. And so we're seeing great results um, in that segment. And we're seeing it growing um, beyond the organic segment into the conventional farming segment as a result of the uh, fertilizer crisis that you mentioned. An additional point I'd like to make, Delaney, is uh, we do produce this in the heartland of the United States of America. It's produced in northern Illinois at our at our plant in Princeton. And so uh, we're pleased uh, because we can reach uh, farmers in a very short time from being in the central United States. And this year, that's going to be an important factor to consider if you don't have all of those inputs locked in for the growing season. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're seeing a fair amount of last minute interest uh, as planting season approaches. Absolutely. So as we look at this SP1 classic product, this biofertilizer, can it be used as a replacement to commercial fertilizer? 
this is a great product and it's performed consistently and it can replace up to half of the infro starter fertilizer and it's really important um, that we're clear on the infro starter fertilizer piece um, growers are asking a lot of questions about their fertilizer programs in general and this is an excellent tool for the infro um, opportunity now when you look at this product sb1 classic does it change between soil types or crops it's a versatile product sb1 classic has worked in multiple crops, um, most notably corn and potatoes in the eastern United States for, for many, uh, many years. We're expanding both from a geographical standpoint as well as a crop standpoint. And so we've seen uh, the product perform very well in heavy soils in the northeastern United States. An example of that would be a potato farmer who, when they harvest their potatoes, has less dirt adhering to the actual potatoes. So it results in a more efficient harvest. As we expand, expand into the specialty crop market in Florida, those soils are very sandy. And what we're seeing there is improved water retention around the uh, plant zone. And so that's um, an example of an additional benefit in a, in a lighter soil type. So we see this product having a tremendous amount of versatility. Uh, DPH Bio is investing heavily uh, to move it not only through the Western Corn Belt and the High Plains, but also um, to the West Coast in, in permanent um, and specialty crops. Now, Getting the product is one thing, which is fantastic to know that you guys are a Midwestern company. I think a lot of farmers appreciate buying from domestic companies as well. But the other thing we've got to consider when we're looking at alternative solutions is the ROI behind it. How does the biofertilizer, how does your product compare to maybe others out there? And what kind of ROI have farmers been sharing with you? Well, that's... Uh an important part of SP1 is the value prop is quite broad. And we recognize that farmers not only expect and need an ROI, but they also need a product that can fit into their current farming system. So at DPH Bio, our investment is going towards the development of products that can be used um, within farmers' current structure. So uh, the product is a liquid product, which means it can replace up to half of that infro starter fertilizer. The fact that it can replace a current um, input that a farmer is using improves the opportunity for a positive return on investment. We have tested extensively, um, not only through our own network, but also through our primary distribution partner and seen consistent yield results that does provide an improved uh, return on investment. Again, I've been in this business a while, so we know uh, we have to deliver that value to the grower. Um, and, and at DPH Bio, with SP1 in particular being able to replace up to half of that in for a starter, uh, the math works quite well at the grower level. I think the other interesting question, and, and I mean, you probably have more perspective on this than I would, but you know, as we're hearing a lot more about biologicals, it's starting to be more of a mainstream practice. Do you see a lot of farmers pushing to use biologicals, incorporate them into their lineup? And was it mostly due to the fertilizer shortage or fertilizer issues we're seeing? Or was there something else that really started to push that forward? I think there's three things happening. Number one, you know, the, the larger issue is really the consumer and the consumer. And we, we saw it first in specialty crops, but the consumer is having more influence over the inputs that farmers can use to grow a crop. So biologicals being used in fresh produce as an example. Uh, number two, the fertilizer um, crisis that you mentioned has uh, stimulated some um, 
additional interest this year. And thirdly, it's the investment. This category of biologicals has been around for some time. Over the past decade, there has been a tremendous amount of investment poured into improving the products, ranging from multinational companies investing to uh, venture capital flowing in and funding many of the startups that you see. And as a result of that, we're seeing improved products, products that perform more consistently and improved acceptance at the grower level as the segment professionalizes. And it's easy to to see that a lot of money and time and research has been poured into this industry. But from a farmer's perspective, why should they have confidence in biologicals? Again, the innovation uh, in the sector is continuing to improve. The validity of the science um, and the development that's going into the product is much more rigorous. At DPH Bio, we've invested and in, in brought in a chief technology officer, Alex Cochran, um, to lead our, our science and innovation program. We're putting the same type of rigor behind the development and positioning of the DPH biological products um, that many in the industry would put behind um, historical top-selling chemistry-based products. So the science is there. In addition, uh, a lot of the work can be done via third parties, which I think adds credibility when the grower is making a decision on whether to adopt a new biological product. And as you look at the future of biologicals, again, I think it's really exciting to see a lot of growers starting to look at adopting them into their operations. But how quickly do you think we see the farming industry adopt biologicals to be a normal mainstream practice? In, in many categories, it is normal. It's been normal in the seed treatment segment for quite some time. Again, the performance of the technology is improving, the consistency in being able to use products like SP1 on multiple crops, ranging from potatoes in the Northeast to corn in the Central Plains to specialty crops in California, improves that adoption. We haven't yet talked about the regulatory environment. And, you know, the regulatory changes that are going on are forcing growers to find new tools in several of, of the different segments. And so combination of the regulatory, the consumer, current prices and and the investment and innovation is coming together to improve the confidence and ultimately the adoption rate of technologies like SP1. Fantastic. Well, Mick, before I let you go, if growers listening want to learn more about DPH Biologicals, where should they go to find more information? We would ask them to go to dphbio.com. We're filling orders and we're shipping product as we get them. So uh, we'd be excited uh, to uh, hear from the growers. Fantastic. Mick, well, thanks again for joining. Thank you. I appreciate it. 